So I was reading this morning just about being thankful, how we need to start to understand that what God has done for us is way and beyond what most of us ever imagined. The very breath that we breathe, God created the trees and the forest. The Amazon Valley is a huge forest of trees that constantly make oxygen, plants all over, make oxygen. God does that. God spoke to the earth, says in Genesis 1, and he made sure that that earth knows that it's supposed to give to the plants from the earth everything that plant needs in order to release oxygen for it. So I am thankful because I can breathe and the oxygen keeps me alive. If it wasn't for those plants that God created, I, I would never have been. My parents would never have been. Adam couldn't have lived. And so we have so much to be thankful for. Then there's the water. Then there's the food, all the stuff God has created. We have to be thankful for. But you see, there's something about us as prideful beings. When in, the, in Philippians chapter 2, when Jesus talks about his humbling of himself, it said when he saw himself as a man, he humbled himself. That's the first thing that crossed his mind. He knew from 4,000 plus years before that, watching men with pride in their lives, being separated from God. And so when he saw himself in the form of a man, that's one of the first things he did. He humbled himself. That's Philippians chapter 2. I'm not going there. And so what, dis what destroys our gratefulness? What is it that draws us away from being thankful for the very basic things that God has given to us? to keep us alive, first of all, but then beyond that, to bless us, to make us comfortable, to bring us joy, to develop relationships where there's fulfillment, to be able to reproduce of our own kind, not only us, but the animals that also serve us, uh, every chicken, every cattle beast, every, every, everything that produces meat or milk, all that stuff has been ordered by God and that continues says in Colossians, it's Jesus that holds everything together. If it wasn't for that word, everything was just dispersed into nothingness. The specks would be so small, no one could see them, but he holds them together. He holds everything together, the Bible says. And so with so much to be thankful for, and yet many of us are grumblers and complainers, and grumbling and complaining is the very opposite of being thankful. And you see, it's pride <clears throat> that constantly works within each one of us. That pride says, I deserve to be treated better, or I deserve something larger or something more expensive. <clears throat> Excuse me. It creates a jealousy in me when I see others that have something that I don't have. If I'm thankful for what I've got, then I won't be jealous of what somebody else has. But when I'm ungrateful, I'll always want more and what somebody else has. 
makes me envious. In Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 and 3, the writer of the Hebrews says, let us lift, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. I stop there. See, Jesus knew what was coming. He knew the pain of the cross. He knew the, the rejection, the hurt, the death that came. He wrote about it to um, Isaiah. He wrote about it to Daniel, or David a thousand years before. Isaiah was about 600. He wrote about, Isaiah says, he was so beaten, we wouldn't even have recognized him if he'd been with him. And so instead of fixing his eyes on what was coming, he fixed his eyes on the other side of the cross where, there's, where there was joy for him. There's a resurrection and joy for him, not just the joy of 40 more days upon earth with the disciples and 500 people that saw him, but the joy of going home to his father after over 33 years of being on this earth. And so he, he looked at the joy, and you see, we're going to run into situations where our joy is released because we are faced the circumstances instead of looking beyond the circumstances and saying to ourselves, God's going to mature me in this. He's going to teach me stuff in this. Instead of seeing the joy on the other side, we have a tendency to get overwhelmed by what is happening right now. So he says, he scorned the shame of the cross, he scorned, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, so we're to consider him. In other words, if Jesus can make it through, we can. You say, yes, but he was God. It's not fair he was God. No, the Bible says that the man Jesus, born of a woman, was totally flesh, and it says he emptied himself of everything divine. Another way of saying that, he emptied himself of anything that was God that would give him an advantage over us. Now, he still was God in man, but he was emptied of everything that would give him an advantage over what we have. So it says, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. When I was studying this, I made a decision. I want this to be a message for the church. I want this to be a message for Christian people. I'm not, I'm not speaking to the, um, to the world out there, to people that, that would say they're not a Christian. I'm speaking to the church because the church is full of people who are ungrateful. Now, if you ask me, how do I know that? Well, for over 40 years, over 40, my wife and I have counseled, our staff has counseled, and we've, we have constantly been up against somebody going through a bad situation. But in that bad situation, it's overwhelmed them. They forgot all about the, the things of the Lord, the, the blessings of the Lord, the, the oxygen, the water, the food. They've forgotten all about that. 
and they're focused on the situation. As a result, their joy is stripped, and out of that stripping of their joy comes a resentment, a bitterness, and often, even though it's the enemy that's in charge of doing it, God has lifted his hand of protection for some reason. Maybe it's just a test to see if we'll stand, stand and be thankful, or maybe it's because we've made wrong decisions. But you see, God is a God who has said he will lift his hand in lamentations. He lifts his hand of protection sometimes. The thing is, the enemy starts to overwhelm us. And because we're ungrateful, God would say, well, they haven't learned yet to be thankful in the situation. So I have to let it go on for a while. The trouble is some, so many Christians, instead of looking at their failure to actually take a hold of the situation and say, God is doing something. He's testing me for my good. He's disciplining me for my good, whatever it might be. Instead of doing that, they get mad at God when really it's their decision that maybe have brought them into this situation and is probably keeping them in this situation. And so we need to recognize that Jesus in his trial said, I consider the Father, I look to him, I look beyond the cross, I will not let this get me down. And as a result, he could hang on the cross and forgive those who did what they did to him. In his prayer in the garden, he said, Lord, it's not what I want, it's what you want. Even though the, the, the anxiety was coming out of his veins, like perspiration. The blood was coming out like perspiration, the Bible says. So the whole thing of, of losing sight of what's beyond our situation, we allow that to rob our joy and our pleasure, and we start to be ungrateful. Romans 1, 16 to 32 is quite a long session, but Romans 16 just says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. There's something about being, say, in the marketplace where you work, for example. If you're going through a hard trial and the people at where you work know you're going through a hard trial, most of the world would say, oh, I'm, woe is me, feel sorry for me, here's my trouble, here's what they've done, all that stuff. But you see, a Christian who's walking in gratefulness all the way home the night before, he was grateful all the way to, all through the evening, he was grateful even though he had the trial. In the morning, he was grateful. Coming to work, he was grateful. And then when the people come around and say, oh, you poor dear, out of the mouth of a true Christian should come, yes, but God is in charge of this, and I know what lies ahead. I know I'll be a better person whenever God is finished with me. We shouldn't be ashamed of the gospel. Shame will keep us from being grateful, especially publicly. Then in Romans 20, it says, For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature 
have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. He's talking about people that are not grateful. They, have, they know there's a God. I believe everybody in the world knows there has to be some kind of a, 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 what do I call them, a divine being to control things that are totally unexplainable by science. Totally. How does a flower in the garden know what to draw from the soil to make stem, green leaves, maybe a yellow or maybe a red flower? How does it know? I have, one day I'm going to teach on that and enlarge on it. But there needs to be an awareness that we Everybody knows there's something out there that's beyond our understanding. And so this passage says, even though they knew God, in other words, we know there is a God, we know there's a divine being out there that is in charge because without a God, there's no explanation for what's going on in nature. Science would say, oh, this is a mystery of life, and they excuse it as if that's the answer. It is not. It means we haven't found the answer. And instead of trying to squash that it might be God, they keep working trying to come up with explanations as to where we came from, how did we develop, and what makes a flower grow, what makes the, the birds fly. All that stuff we're trying to explain so we can say, well, there really is no God because we've got an explanation. They're not doing very well. I know they're trying, I know they're serious, but they're not doing very well. So even though we knew God, they did not honor God. I'd like to personalize that. Even though we know God, we did not honor him as God or give thanks, but we became futile in our speculations and our foolish heart was darkened. So here in Romans chapter 1, God is making it very clear through his Holy Spirit. The world out there has a knowledge of God. They may not know he's the great I am, the father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They may not know that he sent his son Jesus to die in our place because animals didn't do it to take our place. They didn't, they didn't forgive us. They simply covered over our sin. So Jesus came. They, they may not know that but they know somewhere that there's a divine being. Now this passage of scripture in Romans, it's written to Christians. It's not written to the world out there. It was written to Christians who were not a thankful people. And Paul is trying to say through the Holy Spirit, because of your ungratefulness, there's some things happening and you need to know what they are. It says, pride keeps us being thankful. I opened up with that. I always want more. I always want something. It's pride that's working against that. When we are ungrateful, we are dishonoring God. If I say, God, thank you for the food we had today, I'm honoring him. So the two work together. To honor and to thank is, is a, would be a common courtesy to anyone, a prime minister, a queen, a king, anyone that's done us a favor to, to honor them with a thanksgiving. But because of our pride, we've always wanted more. 
So as a result of not honoring with our thanksgiving, the Bible says in Romans 1 that I'm reading, our thinking becomes futile. In other words, I start to miss the truth. I start to miss what is right. Futile, useless, ineffective. Some of the translations use those words. And then secondly, it says our foolish hearts are darkened. And that's because we start to believe lies instead of believing the truth. See, we're so busy as a society trying to prove there is no God, trying to prove that, that it just kind of happened somewhere. We're so busy doing it. If we start to believe that, we begin to have a, a, a heart that's living in deception. It's a darkened heart, the Bible says. And as a result of the darkness, our hearts become lustful and evil. In other words, there's a, an, a vacancy of righteousness. When we believe God is in charge, that's righteousness, and it keeps out the garbage. But when we start to believe the lie, then evil takes the place of that vacuum of righteousness. As a result of what is in our hearts, it will eventually come out of our mouth. Look at what Matthew 15, Jesus here, speaking of what comes out of our mouth. He says, what comes out of the mouth initially comes from the heart, and these make a man unclean. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what makes a man unclean. Now, you include ungratefulness and their lack of honor. All that stuff is because our minds are, are darkened with the, with the lies that we've been told. And we are trying desperately to get out of, the, out of the thinking that there is a God. Because if we can get out of that thinking, then you see, we're not responsible for right or wrong. And then in Romans 1, 22 and 23, these are the Christians. He's talking to Christians, don't forget. These are the Christians. They claim to be wise. The old King James says, professing to be wise. Professors confessing to be wise, I guess. They become fools and exchange the glory for the immortal God, for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Now, in our culture up to now, we haven't, we haven't carved out idols. We haven't done that so much, but they're starting to show up. They're, they're on the, the gates of posts. They're in houses. They're in public places. There's a large one just been put in New York City. I'm told there's another one coming into Toronto. Just these big idols, one of Baal or whatever they might be, idols from the Old Testament. But you see, up to now, we haven't had that. But we did make idols out of what we can do or what we can accomplish. And if I am convinced that I am the one who accomplished, I am the one who made, then I don't have to thank anybody. I take all the praise myself, totally forgetting it's the breath of God that keeps me alive. It's the food he provided that gives me strength and wisdom to do it. We totally provide that. And so we need to recognize that thankfulness is there because we see ourselves as the heroes of our life. We don't see God anymore when really, 
both the Old and the New Testament, was very adamant in simply saying, put God first in your life. Put him first. Put other people before yourself. But we've forgotten to do that. If we put God first, we'd start to understand he's the creator of everything. He's the one that holds everything together. And we need to be a grateful people. As a result of them rejecting the truth, as a result of them going their own way, taking credit themselves, it says in verse 24, therefore God gave them over to something else. In their sinful desires of their hearts, he gave them over to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They changed the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the created things rather than the creator, who is forever praised. God allows the world to give us the desires of an evil heart. He said very clearly a number of times, they come to me and ask me for a favor but their hearts are far from me. So I'm going to give them what they want, only I'm going to give them the, the, in relation to the evil in their hearts because I want to make their life miserable. So somewhere they'll turn around and say, this is not good, I'm going to return to the Lord. That's the whole purpose. When God brings judgment on people in the Bible, it's to bring them back to him. But they reject that even. The, what God handed them over to, the sin, instead of repenting and coming back, they reject it. They go on living in it. So again, the second time, it says God gave them over to shameful lusts. And it says that he, <clears throat> he turned them over into things that were much more destructive in verse 28. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to remain the knowledge of God, he gave them over. And, that's a, and then the third time, he gave them over a, to a depraved mind to do what is not done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, grief, and depravity. They're full of envy, murder, strife, de deceit, and malice. They are gossips. That puts us in the church right there. Slanders, God-haters, insolent. I'm going to skip all those sins, go down to the last verse. Although they know, although they know God's righteous decree, those who do such things deserve that. We're talking about people in the church. We're talking about people that call themselves Christians. But it says, we deserve death. We not only continue to do these very things, but also approve of those who practice them. And so the church has shifted over the years. 50 years ago, some of the things that are accepted by the church now as okay would have, would have struck a chord within us of panic and done something to get rid of the thought from our minds. But now we're accepting it. So three times it says in that passage, God gave them over into something worse. Failure to repent of what they're handed over into. Then God had to do again, hand them over to something worse. Every step he was saying, I'm listening for you to repent, to turn around, come back. Ask me to forgive you for what you, how you've been living. But they didn't hear that. And so he had to hand them over again. And you see, Stephen even talks about this in Acts chapter 7 when Stephen was on trial for, um, for being a, a servant that did many miracles with the people. 
he says, he, re he reminds them of back when they're in the wilderness and how when they weren't thankful for the, f the water God gave them, the food they gave them, they just grumbled, complained, because they said they didn't have enough. It says God gave them over. So there's four times the scripture says it, and there could be a lot more if we look for it. He says in verse 9, because our fathers refused to obey God. Instead, they rejected him, and in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt. Now, in their hearts means that they didn't go back to Egypt physically. Apparently, the historian Josephus at the time, he was a Jewish historian, he claimed that in history, some groups did go back to Egypt. But by and large, they stuck with it because God kept bringing them together. But it says in their hearts they wanted to go back to Egypt. What was in their hearts? Here we have this manna, day after day this manna, not thinking that we're in the desert, this manna is keeping us alive. Instead of that, they dreamed of the, the, the onions and the garlic and the cucumbers and the, and the fish that they had in Egypt, totally forgetting about the slavery of first thing in the morning when the sun's come up until it's too dark to work. They worked at making bricks and building the city for Ramses, the king of Egypt. They forgot about that, just thought about the food they didn't have. As soon as the angels brought Lot out of Sodom, Lot's wife looked back, even though they were told, don't look back. In other words, don't desire your past life. Many Christians have heard them say, I'm going through these trials. When I, before I was a Christian, I didn't have stuff like this happening. Well, that's because God wasn't interested in you. He had nothing invested in you. You hadn't repented of your sins. He hadn't, laid, he hadn't paid the price for you. He's paid it for many of us. But the scripture's full of us. Scriptures say we have to give thanks. Let me read some of them. Ephesians 5.20, always giving thanks to the God and Father. 1 Thessalonians 5, give thanks in all circumstances. Colossians 4, devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Philippians 6, 4 verse 6, do not be anxious about everything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Do you know what that means? When I, when I focus on prayer and petition with thanksgiving, that means my prayer isn't grumbling and complaining. It means my prayers with thanksgiving. That means I can be delivered from worry, fretting, all the anxiousness that verse is. In 1 Timothy, for, for everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Hebrews 12, 28, therefore, since we're receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. In other words, regardless of what's going to happen in the future, regardless of the devastation, the book of Revelation tells us about the judgment that's coming, all that stuff, we need to look at it and say we need to hold on to God's promises. We don't have to get fearful. We hold on to his promises. I love the, I love the, article, the verses in Habakkuk 3.17. 
Habakkuk is saying, I know there's judgment coming. The fig tree, there's no buds, there's no grapes, there's no olives, there's no producing fruit in the fields, there's no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls. And he says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. He looked beyond the persecution that was coming because of the heathen the nation that God said was coming in. We need to be a people that make a choice to be thankful. Being thankful is a choice. It's not a feeling. We need to speak it out. It's a daily act of choosing. It should become a lifestyle for us. It should be a natural way of life. It, even in bad things in life, we need to open our eyes and see the good things. And the good things, when we experience the bad things but are thankful anyway, we'll be more appreciative of the good things. It is not happy people who are thankful. It is thankful people who are happy. God bless you. And may you take this to your heart and begin to see the promise of God for his fulfillment.